When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic, also cover recruiting, also part of the Stars Matter Podcast for The Athletic. I'm joined once again by Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Pod. Carlos, it's Tuesday, December 19th, right around 4 p.m., a couple hours before the Nat Moore Trophy is awarded. That's the the, uh, award for the number one high school player in South Florida. I have a feeling it's going to go to Jeremiah Smith, who's the number one uh, player in the country. But we'll see. It'll be an interesting ceremony. Tomorrow's National Signing Day. A lot has been going on with the Canes since our last episode. I'm going to review stuff really quickly here. Number one, Miami has 26 commitments heading into Wednesday signing period. Uh, they just recently uh, added a, a running back in uh, Jordan Lyle from Ohio State. They also had defensive tackle Kendall Jackson from Gainesville Buholtz flip to Texas A&M uh, a little while ago. I was told uh, that Jackson uh, really didn't commit with the full blessing of the staff, ultimately, and numbers-wise, it didn't make sense for Miami to take him. They got a bunch of D-tackles and D-linemen in this class, so uh, kind of a, a hey, we're, we're waiting on some bigger fish here uh, situation. So, uh, Carlos, a lot going to go on. Uh, we're going to talk about Rhett Lashley. I had him on the uh, Stars Matter podcast yesterday. said some interesting things to me, um, but I guess we're 24 hours away from signing day, maybe less than that. What's uh, your feeling as a Canes fan? Do you get excited like uh, Mario Cristobal does? Like this is Christmas happening a few days before Christmas. Yeah, well, first let's start off with the fact that uh, during the intro here, you've rattled off all your credentials. Those of you watching on YouTube see Manny's <laughs> wearing a, a, a nice shirt. I am uh, in a hoodie and a cap. So, you know, the dichotomy of what you normally do as a national sports writer, slumming it with me on a weekly basis, this is basically that and one sort of a screenshot. And gotcha. I wonder if you soak that in. Um, yeah, it's, it's fun. I don't get too excited until it all happens until people put pen to paper and fax their letters in. I mean, they're still faxing things in, which to me is amazing. Like all this technology and we're still using this fax machine to, uh, determine a, a, a 17, 18 year old's life for the next three to four years. Um, but yeah, it's fun. And it's, it's exciting to see how things shake up to me. It's more about the drama of the flips and, you know, who Miami's in play for and, who's visiting the, the secret visits, people tracking planes and, and seeing what's going on. So that stuff to me is more interesting. Um, you know, for the most part, you know, a lot of these recruiting classes are set. It's really coming down to just a couple guys down the stretch as to who you can flip. It's gotten a little bit more exciting now with the portal guys. To me, that's the more exciting part because I think, you know, some of these freshmen, you're not going to see them develop or on the field for the first year or two. Yeah. Uh, these portal guys are the guys that have experience. You've seen them produce and can be plug and play guys right away. You can make an impact immediately on this program to be that bridge between the recruiting class and and uh, future success. So I'm excited to see what happens on both ends, but I'm more excited really to see if they could finish off with a quarterback here in the portal. Yeah, I think the quarterback is really what everybody is sort of waiting on here. And uh, I talked to Max uh, Olson, our portal authority uh, over at The Athletic. Max uh, knows the Cam Ward family pretty well uh, before uh, Cam Ward uh, went to go play at Washington State. Max wrote a big story on him coming out of uh, Incarnate Word and, you know, how this guy was such a big-time cor- uh, quarterback and, and a guy who had won sort of the National Player of the Year at the, among the FCS ranks. And uh, so he's been in communication with the Ward camp quite a bit and basically shared with me uh, yesterday morning that, uh, you know, Ward, I think, is really really what's slowing this whole process down with Miami and Cam Ward is that he's deciding whether or not to go pro. And I think he, he's gotten back uh, some grades from the NFL, uh, mid, mid-round mid grades, um, you know, and, and I think really ultimately what, he, what he's weighing here, Carlos, is whether or not, you know, do I go to Miami, try to raise, raise my draft stock, you know, go higher, risk injury, right. or 
do I, you know, just sign, you know, go into the draft now, get an NFL contract, start working towards that second deal already, get the clock rolling for that second deal, because that's really when guys make a boatload of money. Uh, but but again, you get drafted in the fourth or fifth round, Carlos, you're not going to be a starter day one unless somebody twists an ankle or uh, tears an ACL. So um, interesting situation. I think without question, you know, it's kind of separated since we did our last show. Will Howard, I think, is probably going to end up at USC. Um, and and I think, you know, there's sort of a, a, a door three option that sort of opened up here in the last 48 hours, which is KJ Jefferson, the former uh, starter at Arkansas. But Let's start with quarterback because I know that's what everybody wants to talk about. And we'll talk about other commitments and transfers and stuff like that. But let's start with quarterback because that's always the hot topic. Uh, it's December 19th. Miami is signing a bunch of high school recruits tomorrow. Cam Ward is still deciding. It may not decide till later in the week. Uh, bad or good thing? Or do you think in the end Miami's going to end up with a quarterback? It almost doesn't matter who it is. I mean, ultimately, it really doesn't matter if Cam Ward decides to come to the Hurricanes or not, if they're trying to flip receivers, you know, specifically Jeremiah Smith, because I think Jeremiah Smith knows that Cam Ward's a one-and-done guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so for him, he's he's going to be locked in for three years at the University of Miami. He's only going to play with Cam Ward for one year if it is Cam Ward. There's there's more long-term vision for him down yeah. the road in terms of who the, the quarterback is going to be. To him, it might be more attractive if uh, his high school quarterback commits to the Hurricanes. And maybe that that helps push him over the edge. Uh, the other thing is, you know, does he trust Emory Williams if he thinks that's the guy? If the hurricane or or some of the other guys the Hurricanes have coming up in terms of the recruiting classes, that to me is is more important than whether or not Cam Ward commits. And at the end of the day, I think really, um, you know, Jeremiah Smith probably believes in his skills enough that he doesn't care who the quarterback is. He just feels like, hey, as long as you can get me the ball somewhere in space or get it near me, I'm going to make plays anyway. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, Jeremiah uh, is supposed to be part of Shamanad's announcements tomorrow at noon. And uh, I'm, like I said, I'll probably end up seeing him tonight at this Nat Moore uh, trophy presentation. I wish we were kind of doing uh, a, a show after I get a chance to talk to some people over there and get a feel for the for the vibe uh, with him. But, you know, I know I know he's been pretty consistent in saying he, he feels strongly about Ohio State. That's the best program for him, yada, yada, yada. Of course, Ohio State you know, has been losing players. Kyle McCord under the portal. He's going to Syracuse now. Uh, he was their quarterback. Uh, I know they've got Aaron Nolan going over there, but Miami just finished taking Jordan Lyle away from Ohio State, who's, yep. the, the, you know, one of the best running backs in South Florida, if not the best running back in South Florida this cycle. Um, and and ultimately, you know, uh, Mario Cristobal's kind of been like the Grinch. In fact, I, I, I retweeted one of those little memes of, of uh, the Grinch uh, stealing uh, with with a orange uh, UM shirt on, sort of stealing uh, presents from Ohio State. If they happen to flip Jeremiah Smith tomorrow from Ohio State, Miami ends up getting him. I don't know that Mario will ever get a Christmas card from Ryan Day or anybody at Ohio State. Oh man, you know what? It, it, that serves him well. I know it's never gonna. Again, we talked about this with the whole Florida State thing. Florida State not getting in, and people using that as like, oh, see, that's what you get for the Hurricanes not getting in back in two thousand one or two thousand. <laughs> For the national championship, this is what they get, Ohio State, for the Terry Porter call. It's never going to make up for it. But you know what? <laughs> you've, you've gone too long unscathed for, for that betrayal and that injustice that was uh, hurled upon the Miami Hurricanes during that day in uh, in Tempe, Arizona. So you know what? They're going to start leaking recruits. Now we got a guy that can recruit, a guy that can steal your stuff, Mr. Steal Your Recruit, Mr. Steal Your Girl, Mario Cristobal, and his church shoes that everybody likes to point out, um, t- tiptoeing under your Christmas tree and snatching everything you got. And yeah, he's got the he's got the hard bottom loafers. You hear him coming, but you still can't stop him. <laughs> got Justin Scott, the five star defensive tackle, a uh, couple uh, a month now, month ago now, pretty much. Got Jordan Lyle last night. Smith would be the trifecta against the Buckeyes, like you said. It wouldn't make up for uh, the national championship in two thousand two, but to start right, um, Carlos. Uh, let's keep talking about the quarterback situation here because KJ Jefferson is a very interesting name. I know you told me you did a little bit of a statistical uh, breakdown on him. I can tell you, first of all, there's a lot of Miami fans that are worried. Are we going to get a quarterback? Oh, my God. I know that's one of the questions in the mailbag. I updated my transfer portal best available list uh, for the quarterback position. And if you look at um, K.J. Jefferson, he's actually the sixth most experienced quarterback available behind Dylan Gabriel, Cam Ward, DJ Uyungle, Grayson McCall, and Will Rogers. Um, those guys all have 40 plus starts. Jefferson has 38 plus starts, and all of them are in the SEC. 
I just wanted to share some basic numbers from him. 65% completion percentage in his career, 7,923 yards, 67 touchdowns, only 18 interceptions. He's also run for a lot more yards than DJ Uyunglele and Cam Ward. 1,800-plus rushing yards, 21 touchdowns. Carlos, dare I say, uh, maybe Miami's better off with K.J. Jefferson than Cam Ward. Uh, To be honest, I think he's a mix of Will Howard and Cam Ward. That's what I think uh, KJ Jefferson is. I think he's he last year was a down year for him. So my statistical analysis when I broke down all the quarterbacks, I was taking this past season and taking those numbers and breaking them down. So he didn't fare very well out of the six guys that I ranked in the total in terms of the categories where he finished. He finished six out of the six guys. But again, it was based on the season. Now, if you look at his previous two seasons, he was highly successful and highly productive in the SEC. Um, like you said, he's not just a guy that throws the football. He's a guy that can run it as well. Uh, he had how many rushing touchdowns? Nine in 2022 and six in 2021. One of the reasons why they weren't as successful or he wasn't as su- successful in 2023, uh, Arkansas's offensive line was down this year. They didn't have as many playmakers. And again, I mean, you're running into the buzzsaw in, in the SEC, and eventually teams are going to catch up to you if you're not adding significant talent year over year. And that's what happened to him. But I think he's a really good quarterback. He's a really interesting fit. Some of the numbers that uh, I broke down, so the adjusted completion percentage for him this past year was 72.5%, which is pretty solid compared to where his, uh, his completion percentage ended up for the season. His regular completion percentage was unadjusted was 64%, so he got an 8% bump, meaning there was a lot of throws that he was on target with that were either dropped, something happened, batted down, or whatever the case may be, really dropped. Um that didn't make it to the receiver and the receiver didn't, didn't finish the catch. So he's accurate with the football of the guys, uh, the, the adjusted completion percentage. He was, you know, number four out of all the guys that I researched, his big time throw percentage was decent at 5.1% compared to the other guys. Again, middle of the pack, but it was higher the previous two seasons. Um, his average depth of target was nine yards. So he's not a guy that throws it behind the line of scrimmage. He throws it pretty far down the field. Um, Let's see here, whatever. is pressure to sack ratio. This is what leads me to believe and, and shows me, again, I also saw it throughout the season because I watched a couple, uh, not games, but snaps of Arkansas games, and they looked terrible on the on the offensive line. His pressure to sack ratio was 33% this past season, meaning he was pressured, and 33% of the time that he was pressured, he was sacked. That means he had guys up in his face. It's, it's not He's not a guy that that's a stone back there, right? He's not a Devin right. O'Leary. He's a guy that can escape the pocket, that can move. He's athletic. So that's a factor of having a bad offensive line this past season. His time to throw, 2.97 seconds. He had the slowest time to throw uh, in terms of uh, the clock of all the guys that I researched, the six. And again, that's a factor of guys not getting open, him having to scramble and do things back there, and that leads to more sacks. So I think... KG Jefferson this year, the numbers, the way I broke them down, didn't do him justice. But to me, I mean, if it's either him or Cam Ward, I'm good with either one. But I think he's better than Will Howard in terms of the fit for the system and the scheme and what he can do. Yeah, and and again, he played against the SEC competition, right? He played the best of the best in the world uh, every single week, uh, at least in the college football world. Um, and, and to me, yes, the SEC was down, but from a defensive perspective, he's facing really, really good defenses for the most part. I know LSU's defense was bad, but Alabama, Georgia, uh, you know, they put up some good numbers. They always have guys that go to the NFL and he's seen it now for three years, He's a three-year starter in the SEC. There's value in that. So if Cam Ward decides, Hey, I want to go to the NFL, I think, uh, coming back to college one more year, uh, isn't worth it, even though I'd probably make you know, somewhere close to $1.5 million for one season at Miami. Um, let me go pro and and not risk it and get my first NFL deal and see if I can, if I can go that way. If that happens, then I think KJ Jefferson is a guy that certainly Miami uh, would jump on right away. If, if they haven't already, if they haven't already had some discussions. Uh, and he's him. a big dude. And I think the other thing about him is he's, he's a, he's a gamer. He he doesn't go out with injury. He plays pretty much every single game. I don't think he's a miss. I don't think he's missed a start in the last three years, which is important, especially going up against SEC defenses. So to me, if Cam Ward is going to hold you hostage and he's going to try and maybe squeeze out a little bit more money out of that NIL deal or, or say, Hey, listen, I'm going pro. Then I would just go with KJ Jefferson. I'd be totally comfortable with that. Miami did land three guys in the portal who, who visited last weekend uh, in the last 48 or so hours. Uh, CJ Clark, the defensive lineman from NC state committed. Uh, I told you about him, 23 career starts, close to 1500 snaps can play inside can play outside 
Uh, a guy that certainly can come in and help replace Leonard Taylor and Branson Dean, inexperienced D lineman. Miami's still trying to get Marley Cook uh, from Middle Tennessee State. He may end up committing soon, uh, depending on uh, whether or not the money matches or not, or, or 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 what. I know Ohio State had kicked the tires on him, but he basically said uh, he'd made up his mind. So Miami likes to plan when announcements are made as a staff. So they may do it tonight, probably around seven o'clock or eight o'clock. We'll see uh, when, if it if it happens or not. Um, they got. Uh, Clark at the tackle. They got Savian Riley, the Vanderbilt safety, the young Vanderbilt uh, safety. He's a class of 2022 recruit. So he's only, you know, played two years of college ball to this point. Three star out of Georgia, two starts. Part of that same secondary with uh, Jadis Richard. So I'm sure Jadis Richard, that connection played a factor in helping Miami. Uh, Vanderbilt guys are well coveted. Um, Carlos, even though they play at Vanderbilt, those guys come out of the portal. I can tell you, I broke down the S the entire SEC uh, portal and uh, link, and and a bunch of them are going to better schools. Uh, why? Because they're smart guys. Most Vanderbilt guys are, are are pretty smart, and they come out and they can play uh, pretty easily in other defenses. And and so I think he's going to help Miami at safety after losing Cam Kitchens and uh, James Williams. And then they landed the center, the, the big position that you felt was huge need for Miami in Zach Carpenter. Uh, after Matt Lee announced he was going pro Carpenter, um, you know, originally signed with Michigan out of high school, uh, ended up transferring to Indiana. I think he made one start at Michigan in his career before he transferred one start in two seasons. And then the last, uh, two plus years, he's been at Indiana, 27 career starts, uh, close to 1900 snaps. So, uh, you know, a guy who probably isn't as good as Matt Lee was coming out of UCF, but a guy who is experienced, he's big-bodied, 6'5", I think 295, uh, smart guy, played in the Big Ten, played against really, really good competition. So, again, those three signings, which one do you like the most? Uh, to be honest, I like the the Carpenter signing the most right now. Okay. To me, Carpenter, because that's the linchpin on the offensive line. You were missing that. You needed that uh, after losing you know, Matt Lee. You didn't have somebody to replace him. I know Ryan Rodriguez is going to start the bowl game, but apparently, you know, all signs point to him not being ready to be the guy next year. And I think with the offensive lineman you have coming back next year, you have the chance to take it out, take it another step forward. Uh, they were really good this year. You could possibly be elite next year, you know, especially now that, you know, for whatever reason, I thought uh, Jalen Rivers was uh, flirting with the NFL for some reason. Right. Um, but he's coming back. So you have your basically your entire offensive linebacker, except for J.B. and Cohen and Matt Lee. And you're plugging in Matthew McCoy, who's played a lot of snaps for the Hurricanes this past season. And you're plugging in a, an experienced guy at center who's faced, like you said, Big Ten competition. And that's important. And you're going to have a guy there to anchor the, the line of scrimmage who knows what's going on, has seen every front you could possibly see, has experienced everything you could experience as a center in college football. So he could pass it along to his guys. And one thing you can be sure of is he's not going to be confused by looks. He's not going to be confused by different fronts and movement up front by the defensive lineman. He's going to get the right call. And that's what you need. He can actually build. He could probably have a better season than he's had his entire career just because he's got better talent around him. Uh, because as as you know, centers are basically the quarterbacks of the offensive linemen of the offensive line. If they don't have good guys around them, they could they tend to look worse because they're doing a lot on the offensive line right. in terms of double teams and pools and all that kind of stuff. Um, ultimately, I think Miami is going to probably go after another safety, uh, another experienced yeah. safety. If if one of them's in the portal, I would assume. Like I mentioned earlier, Marley Cook, the D tackle from Middle Tennessee, who's played a whole bunch. Uh, he would be another D tackle. I think uh, if the right kind of offensive lineman was available, maybe they would consider that. But I think right now they like Matthew McCoy. He could potentially be your starting left guard. Um, you also have Samson Okunlola, the, the true freshman, the five-star, who will compete for the left tackle job. Uh, maybe they that kicks uh, Jalen Rivers inside. If Francis Mawigoa, you could always switch to left tackle. There's so much you can do. The point is Mario has really loaded up on that side of the football. I like. I told you guys last week, I really like Derek Plaz, the three-star uh, out of Jacksonville Mandarin. I got a chance to watch him through Willis McGahee's son on his butt uh, from Miami Columbus, and he's going to Nebraska. He's a good player. Just uh, I, you, you watch him and, and, and the, the athleticism and movement, you know, it's one of those underrated signings, in my opinion. Offensive linemen never, I think, get graded sort of the right way uh, by these recruiting services because it's just hard. There's so many big-bodied guys and, you know, what kind of competition do they play? Mandarin actually played some pretty good competition this year. So this this kid, to me, he's smart. I talked to him, interviewed him. He's a really smart kid. like him a lot. So And, and if there's one thing you could trust in terms of Mario and Mirabal's evaluation is offensive linemen. Yeah. Yeah, no question. I'm not, I'm not worried about the offensive line at all. And I don't think Miami fans should be worried about quarterback. I said that to you guys last week. I think one way or another, 
the, the position. They're going to find a bridge guy for Emory Williams. Uh, and I'm sure we're going to answer more mail, more mailbag questions about the quarterback position going forward. Oh, no, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, we I think I think it might come up, Carlos. Uh, but I, I wanted to get you ready for signing day. Uh, I mentioned earlier uh, Jeremiah Smith and the Chaminade boys announcing at 12 o'clock. Armando Blunt, who was expected to flip to Miami from Florida State, the five-star edge rusher, he is having a private event. I will be going to that. It's at 6 p.m. tomorrow. Uh, and then if you want to listen to our recruiting coverage at The Athletic, tune into the Stars Matter podcast. I will be on there uh, at 8 o'clock with Ari Wasserman, Grace Rayner, Mitch Light, my editor. Um, we will be sort of recapping the national day, and I'm assuming Miami is going to be a big topic on the show because this is going to be the first time in the modern recruiting era, Carlos, that Miami is going to have back-to-back top 10 ranked recruiting classes. So for everybody who always said, oh, Miami always has enough talent, they just underachieved, take that stat and swallow it uh, because talent does matter. And I, I really do think that if you just look at the NFL production from the last few years and the last two decades, it's clearly not the same for Miami's glory days. And I'm not saying you, you have to trust the recruiting rankings and say Mario just bringing in more talent is going to make the program better, but it certainly helps with depth, certainly helps uh, with, with, attracting future recruits right when you can sign you can say hey we, we've recruited back-to-back top 10 classes that's ultimately why mario is here so from a big picture perspective carlos when i say that stat to you that it's been uh this is the first time in the modern recruiting era since 247 and on three and all these websites have been around uh, and it's become mainstream that miami's gonna have top 10 back-to-back top 10 classes what is your reaction to that well, first of all, your your uh, you know, giving us the information was a little bit aggressive and rapey. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Just listen, you just you it took me aback. Anyway, it it makes me feel like it's been a long time since like uh, players wore leather helmets since the Hurricanes had back to back recruiting classes or that were in the top ten. And I think it's it's more telling now that they do it around this time period in this era because there's so many sites. So much evaluation goes into it. There's so much more detail in terms of how they break these guys down. Uh, so much more availability of being able to see guys because of the, you know, the internet and the ability to see film. Huddle, right. Huddle, all that kind of stuff has made it much easier to evaluate players. Um, and, you know, the circuit, the seven on seven circuit really helps with the the skill guys. So that sort of gets your momentum going in terms of evaluations. So to me, doing it now in this era is, is great. And I think it's, it's a great accomplishment. And I think, like you said, you need it not only to add additional depth on the roster you need it for competition across the roster you need it to be able to 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 have enough guys that could fight for spots where guys that maybe are incumbent starters or incumbent role players aren't sitting back and being comfortable they're no they know they're going to be pushed year in and year out and the other thing is if you got a lot of talent rolling in year in and year out guys like you said that are younger that are coming up are going to aspire to go to that program because they know that program develops big time players uh, and they see the competition within the program. And they know like at Miami, if you're a young guy and you can outperform an older guy, you're going to get on the field. It's all about performance. And that's what they see. So to me, it's important. Um, And I think overall what you see in terms of programs year in and year out, those that are in the top 10 in terms of recruiting classes, that level of talent is different than those that are in the top 15 in recruiting classes. Cracking that top 10, is, is a big difference. You might not think it's a lot. It's only five spots. But the amount of talent you get when you're a top 10 recruiting class is much different than it is when you're a top 15 class. Just like if you're a top five class, that is an elite level of recruits that you have brought in uh, to your program. So the goal now is to start moving towards five top five classes. If you can get some top five classes mixed in, then you're talking about a program that can, can sustain success and possibly reach that elite level pretty quickly. Miami's going to try. I don't know that they're going to get there. I think they probably have to try to leapfrog FSU to get into the top five because Texas, uh, which is fifth right now, one spot ahead of Miami, is so they're, they're loading up. Texas obviously made the playoff this year, uh, and, and they're going to the SEC next year, and they've got all this momentum. Uh, Sark has that thing rolling. I don't think Miami leapfrogs uh, Texas because they're going to add some more guys here. But certainly I think there's a chance they could pass Florida State to get into the top five. Either way, if Miami doesn't crack the top five, even adding an Armando. Uh, right. They're very, very close. They, you know, they could add a Darius Hayes. They swipe him from Florida. Gators, by the way, who were, were feeling so good about themselves, Carlos, um, earlier this year, especially their fan base. Uh, you know, they had a top three class. They're number 10 right now. And Miami, if they swipe a Darius Hayes, I think Amaris Mims, another one of their top uh, recruits, top 100 guys, he's going to probably end up at Ohio State. 
uh, they're going to slip like down to like 13 to 15 somewhere. So think about the fine line. I mean, between Miami and Florida who, who meet each other. Oh, by the way, in the first game of the season next year, it looks like DJ Lagway is going to stick and sign with Florida, but they've had five top 100 uh, recruits, uh, blue chip guys decommit from their program since the middle of November. Meanwhile, Miami goes seven and five doesn't necessarily have a great finish, Carlos, right? So the seven and five isn't awesome, but yet Mario and Miami are going to finish for sure with a top 10 class with a chance at the top five. And when, when we get to August and people talk about, man, you know, uh, what kind of chance do you give Miami to, to win in Gainesville? This is when those games are, are won and lost, Carlos. They're won with the transfer portal. They're won with elite recruiting classes. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's, the bottom line that's that really is the truth it's like you have to you have to win the recruiting war to win the game on saturdays that's like a, the old saying when i was coaching and i think every football coach has heard it before it's it's billies and joes over x's and o's mm -hmm. right it's players over scheme over coaching if you have elite players it doesn't matter what you draw up on the board if those guys are just so much more talented than the opponent that they overwhelm them with their talent and their ability you can pretty much draw up anything you're going to win like the 2001 Hurricanes. They ran a basic I-formation scheme. They weren't crazy with it. They just pounded you with it. They ran a 4-3 with two high safeties, played two-man, basically man-to-man -man with two high safeties. On occasion, they would blitz. They didn't have to a whole lot because of their talent up front, and they would destroy people, and it's because of the talent, and that's what you do. So, yeah, it's, it's important to add talent. It's important to bring guys on. It's also important to have positive momentum uh, as it relates to your program heading into the season. And right now, Florida doesn't have it. Right now, Florida is the Titanic. Florida is that dude looking for the lifeboat on the Titanic. I have a child. That's who he is. That's Florida. That's Billy Napier right now trying to find a lifeboat to save his ass before this program goes down in flames. And Mario Cristobal right now is, is you know, tap dancing all over his ass and tap dancing <laughs> over all, Ohio State. He's Gregory Hines right now. Yeah, it's it's incredible how this all uh, works, Carlos, but that's the way it is. Um by the way, I, there's one of the I teased earlier the Stars Matter podcast tomorrow night at eight o'clock at the Athletic. Tomorrow we're gonna have a ton of coverage on National Signing Day. We'll have stories as they break. Um, but one thing I wanted to mention: Rhett Lashley, Miami's former offensive coordinator, is now in his second full season uh, as the head coach at SMU. Called him up, got him on the show, and we had a long discussion in generalities. We weren't even really talking about SMU's class, just recruiting and some of the challenges and i thought he was absolutely fantastic in some of the things that uh you know he said in regards to nil uh you know he talked about how really nowadays you can you can recruit your ass off you can make great relationships with recruits but in the end if you don't have nil even if you're in the top three or the top five if somebody else has a much stronger nil program you have no shot whatsoever and, and the reason i bring that up is because I remember a year ago at this time, right? When 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 John Ruiz was kind of going through it, uh, and and Miami, you know, people were like, Oh, that's it, Miami's NIL's kaputs. And I kept telling everybody, Carlos, I kept saying, yep. uh, Miami's NIL is just fine, just relax, breathe, and you're gonna see how it's gonna help them. And without question, the Canes connection and um, you know, Miami's NIL initiative has put them in a great position to be successful here on signing day and in the transfer portal. And uh, so again, uh, I don't come here and talk shit. All right. When I say things here on wide, right, it's not misguided. Uh, it's for a reason. So I just so want swallow you to swallow that one too. <laughs> swallow that one too. Uh, something else Rhett talked about that I found fascinating. And this wasn't even on the recorded part of it, but we sort of talked about the nonsense you have to deal with in recruiting now, Carlos. And, I, and I'm going to use this just as an example. So our listeners know, um, Red said he had a kid in August who told him, uh, Hey coach, uh, I'm coming to SMU. I'm going to sign with you guys in December, but I just want you to know, I'm going to put out a top three and you guys aren't going to be in it because I want to surprise people. Uh, and Red's like, okay, this is, I, I bring this up just because it's an example of the kind of silliness these guys have to deal with in recruiting. Cause Rhett was like, listen, uh, yeah, that's great but I still got to recruit your position because if you're lying to me, right? Like if you're full of it and you end up signing yeah. with somebody else, we're screwed. So that's part of the challenge. The calendar is nuts, by the way, the NCAA calendar is just crazy right now with a, you know, signing day window in the middle of uh, December while these guys are wrapping up a season and uh portal madness is going on. Uh, it is insane. Think change is going to come. And, and that's stuff we talk about over on the stars matter podcast. 
and on the Until Saturday uh, podcast as well with Ari Wasserman and our national people at the Athletic Carlos, because it, it it really is the stress that these guys are under right now. But I I found it just hysterical that this is the kind of nonsense these guys have to do. They have to basically uh, the, the the kids have so much power right now in the sense of like, hey coach, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna lie to the rest of the world to tell them you're not in my top three, but that's where I'm gonna sign just because they want to get a kick out of it. Yeah, well, they want views. They want Instagram likes. They want to get that that pop, that viral pop on social media. You know what? Recruiting has become kind of like gender reveals, right? Everybody's yeah. done that stupid gender reveal where they <laughs> find creative ways to reveal their baby's sex. Uh, you throw a softball at a dude that's loaded with the, the, the powder that has the baby's gender. You, yeah. know, you have balloons. You have people jumping out of boxes. Got all kinds of crazy stuff nowadays. And it's like... Dude, people are so hard up for attention. They'll do anything to get it. And like this, I mean, you know, hey, listen, coach, I'm not going to include you in the top three. But know that I'm your, I'm your guy. I'm signing in December. I'm just trying to get the social media pop. And the guys that create these, like, these uh, Hollywood-level production videos that they release their commitments on. Yeah. You know, it's him working out in the gym early in the morning, 5 a.m. You know that <laughs> dude has never been up at 5 in the morning in his life. And he's in there lifting <laughs> weights, and he's running hard, and – you know, all this time I've been waiting for this moment right here. And he's like driving through town, getting high five. And at the end, he decides who's going to go. It's it's like this whole stuff now. It's <laughs> it's so Hollywood. It's also fake. Everybody lives their lives. It's almost like they, they prefer to live their lives on social media and virtually than actually in person. Um, I know a person who actually, and I'm not going to even say who, the gender, how I know them, any relationship, because I don't want to piss anybody off. Uh, but this person acts one way on social media they you know post daily they post all kinds of stuff and you would think they were like wow this this party animal this really outgoing person and in in reality when you're with them one-on-one -on -one, they are just meek quiet don't even drink uh don't have fun like it's it's a it's a persona it's a thing they right, put out there right right and that's what we're in that's that's today's society enjoy yeah. It's a bunch of a uh, bunch of lies and, and BS. But uh, listen, I, I appreciate the followers who have, who have been with us all. Uh, what is this? How many years now have I had this pod? Four years, Carlos. You've been a part of it for the last three, basically full time uh, being my co-host. And thank you for all of that. We actually I know there was a, a fan of ours or, 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 or somebody who's certainly a fan of the podcast, not necessarily a fan of ours, but a fan yeah, of the well, podcast. Who, let's uh, make that distinction. Yes. The, who, who named us uh, the the podcast. Uh, Kane's podcast of the year so that was nice that was a nice little and I give you all the credit because it's your entertainment really that that I think takes us to a different level your comedy everything else that you do listen man like I said in, in the Instagram post or the Twitter post that uh, I replied to none of this happens without you you're the one that created the show you're the guy that actually does the serious work behind the scenes you put together stats you do research you do the journalistic stuff you ask me the questions I just sit here and, and I answer shit and act like a clown other than that you know it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good tag team like I said you're, you're Sherman Douglas, baby. You're coming down the court. You're looking for me. I'm Ronnie Cycler, the spin doctor. You get me the ball in the post. I'm going to turn around. I'm probably going to break the layup, but it's all right. We'll come back. No, you'll draw the foul at the very least. Uh, and like then Ronnie Cycler. Right, right. Uh, this is uh, – let's get to the mailbag, Carlos. Uh, I got to get, get down to this award ceremony thing, and, and tomorrow's going to be a busy day. And, and, you and know, apparently I, I have to go rob a liquor store the way I'm dressed today. I look like somebody straight out of Boys in the <laughs> <laughs> all right brother this is uh from ramon soler don ramon 0315 not a question but my favorite thing about your pod with carlos is when he compares football to a movie scene and goes off on a 30 minute rant off topic about that movie what's the last movie you watched carlos oh man that's a good question uh nailed like, on that one there yeah yeah i haven't seen like a new movie in a while um you know what? I just finished watching a series with my family, the new Santa Claus series on Netflix. Mm -hmm. That's the last new thing I watched. And that was good. That was actually really good. It's based on the, the Tim Allen Santa Claus movies. Yes. So I saw there's two seasons of it. So I saw that. There you go. There's a Christmas movie for you to check out if you have. And I'm, I'm kind of like Tim Allen in that movies in the sense that I've I you know started off nice and young uh, when I started with my wife. And now I've grown into this fat old man with gray hair on his beard. <laughs> who occasionally stuffs himself down chimneys, but don't worry about that. <laughs> All right. This is from Jay Salter, JRS Air 23. Mario said it would take three to five years to get this program to where we would want it. Uh, with back-to-back -to -back top 10 classes, the first for Miami in 20 years, do you think the program is where Mario thought it would be after two years? 
I think if you were to ask Mario and, and inject him with a little bit of truth serum, right? And AKA rum. Right. You you give him a little bit of rum in his cafecito or a little 151 in the cafecito. Uh, I think he would probably tell you, yes, I, I don't think he had high expectations when he first got here. I think when he first saw this roster and realized the lack of size on both sides of the line, um, the lack of player development in certain areas, I think he would tell you, um, I'd like to go eight and four or nine and three in my second season if possible, but I wouldn't be surprised if we don't just because that's how much of a roster makeover needed to take place and how much of a culture he needed to set. And I think at that time, he also wasn't sure, um, you know, who he could count on as far as the roster. So to go 12 and 12, not good, not what he wanted, not what I think the administration paid for. They didn't want that. But I think at the same time, if you say, hey, he's going to improve the roster significantly and be in position in year three to win the conference, potentially with the right quarterback, I think I think that's probably on schedule. Carlos, what about you from your perception? Yeah, I think that, you know, realistically going into it, I think we knew that it was going to be a tough climb. Um, I don't think he understood it until he got here. I think when he accepted the job, he might have had a different uh, viewpoint of it. I think he might have thought he probably was going to go seven and five in the first year, maybe eight and four, and then build towards a a 10 win season the second year. Then he got here and saw what was going on. He was like, okay, this is not uh, not what I anticipated. And (laughs) expectations changed. I don't think he thought he was going to go five and seven in year one. Definitely not. Um, I don't think he thought he was going to go seven and five this year either. I thought he was probably going to end up eight and four, nine and three. That's what he thought. He didn't anticipate his quarterback turning into one of the three blind mice and throwing the ball over the field. So, I mean, things happen, but that's that's college football. You have injuries, you have guys that underperform, guys that overperform, and just things throughout the course of a season that happen that you have to feel, you have to face and deal with that sort of throw you off track. And uh, you know, one of the things you can't really overcome is having no quarterback or a quarterback that's inefficient. And I think the other thing is Carlos. Um... I don't think he necessarily hired the kind of assistant coaches that he really wanted. Like I know for sure uh, his first offensive coordinator was probably his third or fourth choice. Uh, You know, I think the second time around, even it was the same deal with offensive coordinator. Like I don't think Shannon Dawson was necessarily number one on the list. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I know he he really liked Jason Candle, uh, the Toledo coach for that job. Well, he keeps Um, holding a candle out for Jason Candle. He's like Elton John with candle in the wind. Yes. Because he does uh, not let that go. That dude, he looks at him from across the country and is like, hey, Jason, what's up? Listen, you see him, you see me stealing all these recruits from Ohio State. That's your that's where you're at now, baby. You're in Ohio. Come on. Come on down too. I'm taking everything from Ohio, Jason. Come on down with me. I think he finally found the right defensive coordinator, right? Like yeah, I think Lance yeah. Gidry is certainly an upgrade. I think that that's the right kind of coach you need at Miami. Somebody who's really creative on third down with pressure, uh, who who the kids like. I think he's got that that thing right. But Hey, look, it takes time, right? It takes time. Not everybody. I know everybody here at Miami is like, no, we want to be like uh, Ohio State with Urban Meyer and get to the national championship game right away. And we want to be like, uh, you know, other coaches of the past, uh, Nick Saban. Within two years, three years, they're they're playing for the national championship. Kirby Smart, right? You want to be. It's not going to be that way at Miami. First of all, you're you're not in the premier conference, right? You're not in the SEC or the Big Ten. So you're fighting at a disadvantage. Uh, second, Miami's never spent money like this. This has just begun, right? Yeah. And, and I think the supporting cast, uh, the people around it are just, oh, we we need to pay for this? Oh, okay. We, we need to pay for that? Oh, okay. So it's kind of like a training in motion, right? All the way around yeah. of, of getting people on board with the vision. So I, again, I think to answer your question uh, in, in a long roundabout way, uh, Jay Salter, I think uh, they're probably on course with ho- hopeful that they have a much better record next year. Um, this is from Nick Green big underscore juice 52 with the chances of schools looking at Jason Taylor as a DC do you think Mario promotes him to co-DC and gives him the job once Gidry becomes head coach it's a good question I'm not sure uh, Nick I think um, I think it all depends on Jason and what he wants I think Jason really wanted to coach in the NFL and be a part of the Dolphins Uh, I think he wanted that really badly. He interviewed for that position before coming to Miami. I think once an NFL team gives him that opportunity, I think he's gone to the NFL. I don't think he's going to end up being a college defensive coordinator. That's my. You got to understand, Jason. uh, Jason's very comfortable at the University of Miami. He could stay in his house in Weston or wherever it is, Southwest Ranches, wherever he lives in that area. Doesn't have to move. Doesn't have to go anywhere. So if he takes a job as a DC at another school, he's going to have to basically live somewhere else nine months out of the year. And my dude loves South Florida. If you know anything about Jason Taylor, 
the dude loves South Florida. Yeah. Um, again, that's my feeling. I just, I, I, I don't. I mean, maybe, maybe he is a college coordinator. And I'm dead wrong, but I, I just think the NFL is, is where he he thinks he probably deserves to be. This is from Andrew V underscore seventeen. Uh, have you heard anything about Brashard Smith or Xavier Estrepo leaving? Seems like only one will stay of those two. Thanks for the question, Andrew. Um, I, I'm I'm of the opinion, again, we'll see what happens in spring football. We'll see what happens with X. I know X is basically sticking around to play in the bowl game for right now. Uh, he wants to get to that 1,000-yard mark. We will see what happens afterward, whether or not he follows Tyler Van Dyke to Wisconsin or he goes pro. I think he's another guy who who probably is looking at it saying, maybe I should go pro after this. My stock is pretty high right now, right? All ACC type guy, close thousand yards receiving. Will he have the same opportunities next year with a different quarterback and more receivers and better talent around him? Uh, so we will see. And I think Brashard, you know, he's a guy that uh, I'm sure other schools look at and say, we can, we can maximize his ability. So again, just because the transfer window is going to end here in December doesn't mean it doesn't open again in April and guys won't right. look after spring football to take off. So to answer your question, Andrew, I, I haven't heard anything definitive, but I also wouldn't be surprised if both of them left. Yeah. Anything is possible. And, you know, I think especially with Restrepo and I mean, they're, they're both really candidates to leave. Restrepo is looking at it as, you know, the guy that got me the ball the most is gone now. Um, and, and he was targeted significantly more when Tyler Van Dyke was on the field than uh, when another quarterback was back there. So for him, it's like, are my numbers going to going to take a sharp decline now next season? Are my opportunities going to go down the toilet? Um, so maybe now I should make the jump to the NFL or make a jump to Wisconsin with Tyler Van Dyke to keep those numbers up and raise my draft stock. As far as Richard Smith's concerned, he's pissed off because he doesn't get the ball enough, and I'm pissed off too. Like, why the hell? Then they get that guy on the field more, get him the ball more. Like you've got to find creative ways to get that dude the ball. Every time he touched it was an explosive play, pretty much. Yeah, and I think Shannon Dawson wishes he could have, but I think also part of it probably falls on Brashard and running the right routes and doing all the responsibilities and things that they need him to do. So uh this is from Ryan Falcon123 on Twitter. If Miami strikes out on Cam Ward and uh, Will Howard. Who is the next number one option? We went over it earlier. Yeah. It's KJ Jefferson. I also think Jordan McLeod, he's still available. Um, Carlos. I said again, whoever gets that dude is getting a sleeper. I'm telling you right now. I think Jordan McLeod is probably the next in line after that. Uh, a lot of, yes, a lot of quarterbacks have already committed. I have the list in front of me. This this list is 40 deep. Um, some names uncommitted. Malachi Nelson from USC, the five-star that signed. He was one of the top players in the country. Uh, is gone from USC. Malik Murphy from Texas, who made two starts there uh, in his time there, uh, available as well. I think Ohio State might be kicking the tires on him. Bryson Barnes from Utah uh, is another guy. Ethan Kaliakmakis from Minnesota, 17 career starts. McLeod, and then you have the kid from Holy Cross, Matthew Sluka, who I think is still available, and then KJ Jefferson. So we'll see what Miami ends up doing if Cam Ward uh, doesn't happen. Uh, so we Listen, will I would see. take I, I would take uh, KJ Jefferson and Malachi Nelson because you've got a combo there of a, a one year guy and a potential guy that can be your starter for the future and a five star former five star recruit. Yeah, uh, let's move on to the next question here. Uh, this is from Ginger Man Can and Did to a believer. Manny, with so many quarterbacks that hit the portal, I know essentially it was Cameron Bus, but are other guys really worth much in, in the NIL market? Seeing the Ohio State quarterback go to Syracuse and Toledo's guy go to Baylor, it seems like the quarterback movement is sexy on surface, but dull, dull at face value. Um, I think the one thing you have to realize, uh, Ginger Man, to a believer, is that um, if a guy gets into the portal, it's usually because he's not good enough. At where he was and while some guys may be looking to quote unquote upgrade because they were good at where they were um they're like they were at that original place for a reason they had to prove themselves to move up right like kj jefferson might be the one exception when you look at him because he was a starting quarterback for three years at arkansas and arkansas just kind of went to crap that program yeah. um but like look at cam ward he started at incarnate state and he ended up at Washington State. That's the only peop that's the only team that really the only power five team that really gave him uh I think a look. And th and that's because his former coordinator went there. Yeah, uh, Jordan D McLeod went from USF to, you know, James Madison. Yeah, DJ Uyungle was terrible at Clemson, right? People were on his ass. He ends up at Oregon State. Now he's back in the portal. Dylan Gabriel was at UCF and then UCLA and then Oklahoma. 
And now he's going to Oregon because he's 49 career starts and Oregon just has sort of a need to replace uh, Knicks, uh, Bo Nix. So I don't know. I think, I think part of what everybody needs to swallow here is that if you're in the portal and you're looking in the portal for help, you're not exactly looking at grade A meat. I mean, it all depends. I think um, the biggest thing with quarterbacks also is sometimes you don't get opportunities. You've got a guy ahead of you that you feel you're, you're, you're better than, or is a guy that maybe gets recruited a couple years ahead of you. And it looks like there's no path to you getting to that starting job. And, and really the most important thing is system. Sometimes the system just doesn't work out. Yeah. You're, you're not a fit for what it is they're running and the way they run it. And you feel you need to go somewhere else that can maximize your talent. And I think that's very important, especially like you'll see a guy like Joe Burrow, uh, you know, who's deep buried on the depth chart at Ohio state. He goes to a place that runs a different offensive system at LSU and he blows up yeah. and he becomes, you know, a number one pick in the NFL. And that happens. You just need to be, it's, it's different circumstances for different guys. All these guys have different skill sets and different talents. It needs to be the correct marriage of, you know, system opportunity and talent. This is from uh, Thomas Wilston underscore. Uh, Winston underscore Wolf on Twitter. Uh, which of the incoming recruits on each side of the ball will end up with the most snaps in, two, in 2024? My picks, Zaquan Patterson on defense and JoJo Trader on offense. Also, in your opinions, who is the most underrated recruit on each side? Thanks for all the great content this year. Carlos, you want to – I think he's right on those two picks, Zaquan Patterson and JoJo Trader. As the as most snap counts, but probably have... I'll give I'll give a different answer just to give go uh, with somebody else. I'd go Justin Scott on defense because okay. I think that defensive line needs that help right. uh, at the D tackle spot. Um, probably right on JoJo Trader. Um, I would think Nye Carr has a chance. He's a slot. Yeah, Nye Carr's got a shot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then as far as uh underrated guys, I, I like Dalen Russell. He's he's sort of a I don't know, shorter version of um I don't I don't I don't I don't know how to describe him other than he he's he's got a big engine, he's hungry, he's got a chip on his shoulder. I don't think he helps you in year one or year two, but if he sticks around in this program and gets developed, he could be a guy that in, in two years, three years is starting a bunch of games for you and and you know one of the best play or or one of the best players in the ACC off the bench like a key rotational piece. I think among underrated guys, I think Dalen Russell is is one that I would put up there because just because he's small, right? He's kind of an yeah. underrated dude. Um, and then I'll go the uh, opposite way. I'll go that offensive lineman, the uh, the JUCO guy. That's a that's a behemoth that needs to develop. That's a, Bell, yeah. that's a project dude. That dude could be a monster. And then I think another interesting one is Chris Wheatley Humphrey, uh, who's ranked 754. He's a three-star. He's coming in as a running back, but I think everybody expects him to to switch over to cornerback. I think he has that kind of elite uh, skill set to him, and and so I think that's a guy that that could potentially be a surprise. Uh, but we'll see. Um, that's my answer, Thomas. All right, this is from uh, Renton RC. What are your thoughts on Chip Kelly's ideas on restructuring college football? Are you aware of what Chip Kelly I'm said? I'm glad he brought that up. Yes, I heard his comments, and I really like them. Go ahead. You you can go first. <laughs> well, essentially, Chip Kelly said that he wanted to break up Division One into basically two leagues, right? A 64-team league for the Power Five and a 64-62 team league for the Group of Five, right? <clears throat> and it's basically like the NFL. You just basically play guys. You're all independent. There are no conferences. You're playing a schedule based on regionality, and then you cross that region for certain games and certain rivalries. To me, that's that's a great idea. Treat it like the NFL. Put it into divisions based on region. Make it easier for uh, for the programs. Let the other non-football sports, non-revenue-producing sports, play within conferences like the Big Ten, Pac-12, that are region-specific as well. But this allows you to really build out your schedule and build out attractive games year after year. You could have one TV deal, like you said, covering the entire league like the NFL has, or you could split it into two, kind of like the NFL with the AFC and NFC, um, to help bring revenue to all programs and split that equally. And he also talked about the universities paying players directly so they have control over the salaries um, and basically making it like pro football where you've got a salary cap. You've got your paying guys uh, directly as an employer. And it's no longer based on NIL and what outside forces can do for you. Because the one thing that people don't talk about when it comes to NIL is, yeah, universities are driving a lot of this in terms of the recruits they go after. And they're cutting these checks through third parties. But these third parties now hold sway over the university too, right? Over the athletic program, over the football program. Yeah. Because they're the ones cutting the check. 
they could basically tell guys, listen, we like this guy better. We know this is the guy you want to cut a check to, or you got to do this for us. You got to do that for us. We want this kind of access because we're cutting the checks. I know it's not happening in that, like, like it used to with the Nevin Shapiro stuff, but there's always the potential for that where the guys holding the purse strings start to uh, sort of make demands and, and put impose their will on the football program. And it's no longer the head coach who has any kind of control over it, which is what Chip Kelly apparently likes uh, or sees and wants to eliminate and likes to have the control in terms of uh, how to operate his own program. And I love those ideas. I thought they were great. Yeah. I thought it was very interesting, but I'm going to shoot a hole in the entire theory here, Carlos. And that, and that's because what he described ultimately uh, is is a world where there's no capitalism and where the SEC and, and Big Ten don't already control college football. Right. And and that's never going to change. And I, I don't ever think the SEC or Big Ten is going to say, well, out of the goodness of our heart, we're going to go no, ahead and, and even the playing field with everybody else and just share a TV contract and, and share the money and share it equally. Uh, the NCAA, that ship sailed on the NCAA and everybody else in college football 25, 30 years ago when the SEC network launched, when the Big Ten network launched, when all of those plans were being made to basically take control of the sport. That's what happened. And that's why, like, I, I on podcast a couple of weeks ago, all of you were like, why do you feel bad for FSU? You're an idiot. You're stupid. I, I'm, I'm seeing the bigger picture here, bro, which is college football, as you knew it and as you've known it to this point, is over. It's over. It is controlled by the people with the money and the power. So that's the only the way, that way this could work <laughs> would be if the amount of revenue generated through that 64 team league, I, I think 64 is too much. I think you cut it down to like 32, maybe, or whatever the case may be, generates more money for those SEC and Big Ten teams than it currently does under their deal, right? Especially the top programs. If whatever they're getting, $30, $35 million a year from their current revenue split is increased to 50 for the top-tier programs, or there's an incentive-based program where they can get more money, then that would make a difference. Carlos, at what point in, in, in human in human society has anybody ceded power out of the goodness of their heart? It's never well, going to happen. It's never going to happen. It's about ceding power. It's, uh, it's about making more money. And every time you flash more money in front of somebody, guess what? People make stupid decisions. They're not going to make more money because it's, it's proven. The TV ratings have proven that there's there are two leagues that get all the views and the other leagues don't and that's partly because of where those schools are locally located like the big 10 obviously is at a huge advantage because in the midwest there's nothing else to do but watch college football right and get crazy over it and then in the south that's where all the best players are and they're all going to the same schools and i think the thing that's hurt the ability to make this uh, a reality also now is the additions of usc and ucla to the big 10 and the additions of oklahoma and texas to uh, the sec yes. They invited now, who they wanted to invite. Yes. Right. And now there's no more chance of that cross regionality, uh, you know, special type game that you can only schedule through a TV network that'll make it happen. Now they're in the conference, so it's over. It is what it is. Uh, this is from Scary Rhombus. What is the root cause of why Mario hasn't been able to bring in a top level quarterback from the portal or high school? Okay. I'll tell you. He's an offensive line coach. And he just confused me with his name. That was a lot of math terminology, rhombus and root. Well, like, what are we doing here? Is this trigonometry? I, I didn't take that. I didn't take that in high school. Um, you agree or disagree with my take? Um, I don't necessarily think it's because he's an offensive lineman. I think it's because of the system that he's run in the past. And I think he, he lacks a guy as an offensive coordinator and quarterback coach and go out there and get a guy that can convince someone to say, hey, listen, look at the system I have for you here. You're the kind of guy that will fit into it perfectly. Let's let's go make something happen. I, I just think his combination of coordinators and his systems in the past have sort of failed him. Mario can close anybody. I just don't think he's had that right combination. And people have the perception that he is a caveman and a and and Fred Flintstone when it comes to offensive football. And that's that hurts him. You need an offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach that can overcome that perception. Um, Shannon Dawson tried to do that a little bit this year. Really hasn't overcome it fully yet. Mm -hmm. This is from uh, T. Miller Golf. Who starts the Florida game, Emory Williams or Jakari Brown? Neither. With you. The transfer does. Uh, Three-star Kane, who is your favorite recruit from the class? Who do you think is the most underrated commit that people aren't talking about enough? And who do you think has the most potential? My favorite recruit from the class? I, I really think Zaquan Patterson is is going to be yeah. a beast. Um, but I again, I haven't met some of these other kids. I haven't met Marquise Lightfoot. Um, I haven't met um, 
Justin Scott. Uh, JoJo Trader, I think, is an NFL first-round top-10 pick at cornerback. Will he switch there eventually? I don't know. Um, Nikar, I know, is a really good slot receiver. Uh, I don't I don't necessarily have a favorite. Most underrated, I mentioned earlier, Dalen Russell might be that guy just because of his motor. I think he's he's one of those guys who could be at Miami for five years. And years three, four, and five, he plays a huge role in Miami making the playoff or winning a national championship because he's got a huge motor. Um, so I don't know. Uh, who do I think has the most potential? It's hard to say. It's it really is uh, probably Justin Scott because you can't teach six four three ten and have it move that yeah. way. Andrew Ivins, I, I talked to him on Saturday, Carlos, and My nemesis. Uh, your nemesis as you like to call him, the scouting director for two four seven, and he is uber high on Justin Scott. He thinks Marquis Lightfoot could be Jalen Phillips. Um, he thinks Scott could be you know an an elite you know first round pick type D tackle. Um, I, I, you know, all those guys are really good. Um, Mar the, the top of this class is, is really, really special. Um, this is from Chris Walker, C dub underscore 33. I honestly think with the wide receiver class we are getting in the O line, we are keeping intact. We'll be fine if we miss out on this portal for quarterback. Cause this offensive line will protect all day and wide receivers are going to be open. What's your take? Uh, Mr. Emery at the UM showed he can, um, I disagree. You disagree. You think Miami has to get a quarterback? I think if you get it, I think Emory Williams needs another year of seasoning. I don't think he's ready to be a full-time starter yet. I think he has some potential, but he's got some stuff to work out. It's going to take a little bit more development for him. He even yeah. looks a little baby-faced and a little thin in terms of his body structure. Yeah. Uh, given another year of sitting and waiting and learning and, and really being into that system with Shannon Dawson, if they keep him throughout his tenure, I think will help him a lot. I think having a guy like, let's just say, a KJ Jefferson, a seasoned veteran to help teach Emory Williams also, a uh, guy that's seen a lot, that's played a lot, can teach him about defenses, teach him a lot of different things that he's seen on the field, and can be that bridge to him. Having that experienced starter, I think, helps boost your win total. I think with a guy like KJ Jefferson, you could be a 10-win team. With Emory Williams, I think you're probably looking at eight or nine wins. I agree. I, I think it, it ultimately does matter who is the signal caller, and I, and I think Emory Williams, we've said this many times, he's a guy that needs one or two years to develop in the right system. Um this is Al Gauthier, 508 Kane fan. Manny, this is your time to go public and commit your allegiance. So which hat are you picking? No transfer portal options. Carlos, I don't have a UM cap. Actually, I do. I have one up here at the top of this banner. That's it. That's a Miami Hurricanes cap. I don't know if you can see that one right there. You got yeah. it? That that yeah. one there. Yeah. Uh the Florida State cap is sweaty. I wear that one when I play pickleball because I, I need a hat to sweat in. Um Carlos, you know you know where my allegiance is. So the so the so the Florida State, yes, you are actually a UCF fan. Um, <laughs> that's what people don't understand. They they think it's Florida State. They think it's well, my brother went to UCF. So there you go. But I mean, it's it's nice that you pickle the Florida State hat while you're pickleballing uh, mm -hmm. with your sweat. So yeah, man. I mean, whatever, dude. It's it's a thing. You can't even be a fan if you want to right now. It's you're you have to be objective. You have to cover the team. I, on the other hand, could be an idiot fan. Uh, like the this I retweeted this. I I keep saying tw Twitter and tweet. I'm sticking with it. I don't care what it's called anymore. At this point, it is what it is. It's kind of like Joe Robbie Stadium. It's always gonna be Joe Robbie to me. I don't care yeah. what they call. It, all right. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a post by a college football site that said which fan base that's currently down, uh, would be the most insufferable if they became elite. And I just retweeted it and put the Grinch uh meme with him smiling like a big grin. We know who it is. Yes. Oh baby, you know how we would be. I'd be running down the streets running into people's faces like, "How you like that?" <laughs> Swallow that one. Kane Finn uh asks here, "What's one story you can share during the Mario Cristobal era that no one knows about?" Thanks for the great show this year. Merry Christmas to both of you even though Manny is an FSU fan. Thanks Kane Finn. I appreciate that. Merry Christmas to you. Um Carlos, I don't know I, what fan, what story do I have about the Mario Cristobal era that nobody knows about. Um, She's geez. a big fan of Palacio Lajuz. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, listen, the access has completely sucked this year. We haven't been down for any practices. Everything is closed. Um, unless you're one of the recruiting services who's going to help them with with the recruiting rankings and and being, you know, kind of their buddies. I, I don't know how, what kind of access you're going to get. Uh, I, I, I look. I think ultimately here what matters is that Mario 
has the program heading in the right direction. I don't need to have any cool interactions or stories or anything of that nature, uh, experiences of my own with the staff or the people around there. Miami is the, – the success of the program is far more important than any sort of cool access or anything that I might have. I can just tell you that I know the guy in charge really cares about winning and uh, really cares about getting this program on the right foot. And whatever – interactions we get to have every now and then i can tell you that above all else he really cares about getting miami right that's all i can tell you and he also really likes palacio lahoos yes and and the coffee and coffee uh from scary rhombus he came back with another one carlos jesus. what do you what, what, let me get my protractor hang on scary rhombus jesus but what do you guys think of mario's portal recruiting philosophy he seems to ignore the elite talent and go for depth pieces instead I think Mario looks for guys he can plug in and not necessarily overtake the program because he wants to build ultimately through recruiting. So he looks for guys in the portal that fit his system that can be rotation guys or maybe starters, but not guys that will overshadow his recruits in a sense mm -hmm. and make and scare recruits off. Because I think one of the things that people haven't realized is with the transfer portal era, a lot of high school guys are being left off and being scared off from different programs because they're being replaced or those spots are being taken by portal guys. Um, Mario's one of the few guys that still believes in building through recruitment first and then just plugging in um, portal guys as he sees fit. Now, he's going to take an elite guy where he feels he needs an elite player. Other than that, he's going to develop the guys that he recruits. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think ultimately, like, Matt Lee was a big signing for him last year. But you look at the rest of the portal takes, Branson Dean, um, Jaden Davis. Uh, I'm just thinking of bouncing around in my head here as I look at it. Francisco uh, Maunoa. JV and Cohen. Like Maui Noah, like everybody knows his brother more is more famous than like his younger right. brother is the five star, right? And so, I would argue that uh, his, uh Francisco had a better season. Yeah, I mean uh, so the bottom line is I think less attention maybe is something he does care about. Like he doesn't want necessarily super high profile guys. Now Cam Ward would be super high profile because every he's the number two guy in the transfer portal, but that's a quarterback. You can take that at quarterback. I think the other positions are, I don't know, like you said, he cares more about the young guys developing and, and, and buying them time to develop, I think. Um, yeah. This is from Cranky Kane or Glitchy Morpheus, one of your favorite uh, combos there, Carlos of Names. Just tell Miami fans that if we don't flip Jeremiah Smith, don't let it ruin signing day like Cormani, Cormani did to many fans last year. I don't think it will. I don't. If Jeremiah Smith goes to Florida State, I'm sure there will be Miami fans angry because that's what they do. They're just everything is on on, on an eleven, right? Yeah. Um, but once they flip Armando Blunt tomorrow night uh, at six p.m. and uh, you know they come in with a top six recruiting class. I don't. I think eventually the smart fans are going to outweigh the dumb fans. Right or wrong? Uh, wrong. Okay. <laughs> I think people are going to lose their shit if they don't flip Jeremiah Smith. It's just one of those things. It's one of those reactionary recruiting things. People follow it. I think they'll really lose their shit if they don't get Cam Ward. That'll be the one that really puts them over the top. If Cam Ward and Jeremiah Smith both end up at Florida State, I think uh, Hurricanes Twitter is going to have a meltdown. All right. What is going on at quarterback? This is from Marcos Miranda. How much longer does this go on? It feels like we're being held hostage by Cam Ward. Also, also an honest opinion on Cam Ward versus KJ Jefferson. Everyone seems to be much higher on Cam. We wanted to see how much of a drop off and who is better fit. One thing I did notice, and I mentioned this on the live stream of our YouTube the other night, Cam Ward, I think, has 31 fumbles in college. I think he's lost 14 of those fumbles. Yeah. Uh, that is something that's a little bit problematic. I didn't look up KJ Jefferson's uh, issues. Um, this is from Six Pack Canes or Gary's guys. What's your gut feeling on where 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 Ward goes? Mines is not good over here, Manny. I think we should have gone all in on Howard while we had the chance. Um, Carlos, again, it's funny that the, we cannot escape the QB conversation. It's a sexy conversation, man. I, if I were to put a hundred dollars right now and say where does where is Cam Ward next year, I think Cam Ward's in the NFL, and I think the Hurricanes sign KJ Jefferson right now. Right now at five p.m. as we're wrapping the show up on Tuesday, December 9th. I agree. And to be quite honest, I think they'll be perfectly fine. They may even be better off. Who knows? Because I think the level of experience that KJ Jefferson has, he has the tools, he has the ability. To me, he's a he's a better DJ Uyunglele. I said it correctly. Um, You've been practicing. He, yeah, I have in the mirror, and it's been disturbing. Um, he's a better version to me of DJ Uyunglele. He's 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 got a better arm. 
Um, I think he's more accurate. I think he's uh, slightly more athletic. He's got the size, same kind of size, and he's faced that SEC competition and been successful. I think what hurt him, again, in my analysis, was they had a down year at Arkansas. He had nothing around him, I think. I think tomorrow uh, Kevin Riley flips to Alabama. He's a four-star, top 100 running back. I think Miami's fine. That's why they got Jordan Lyle. Um, I think Adarius Hayes uh, flips to Miami. I think Armando Blunt flips to Miami. I think um, Xavier Lucas flips to Miami. And Miami ends up with a top four class. Um, They get Jeremiah Smith. They could even move up to the top two or top three. So we will see. Listen, if they get Jeremiah Smith, they could put me a quarterback. I just punt it down the field and let Jeremiah run it down. That'll be the one to watch tomorrow. I'll be there for it. Uh, make By sure. By the way, you... I was a a finalist at, at eleven years old in the, for the city of Miami in the for... punt, pass, and kick. And, I ended and... up losing and not making it to Joe Robbie Stadium because I shanked. I gave right. it a little shankopotamus on the kick section. You're still an all star in my book, brother. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. That means a lot. I will probably have another show. Uh at some point here where we get Frank Tucker on to start talking recruiting uh, because that monster for 25 is going to start cranking. Miami did get a commitment. Elijah Melendez, I think the linebacker, four-star linebacker, 25 class. But like I try to tell all of you, worry about the 2025 class come June. We will give you an outlook. We will give you an idea of names to watch, but I'm not going to sit here and get serious about it till June when guys start committing and visiting and all that other nonsense goes down because that's really when all that goes down. Um, but for now, Carlos, thanks for coming on. Make sure you follow him at MIA Ledo on Twitter. Make sure you listen to the MIA All Day podcast. And make sure you purchase. You think I still, still got time to get stuff for Christmas, Carlos? Yeah, of course, man. I, I self-ship. You self-ship? You literally go and drop it off? I'll drive it to their house if I have to. No, that's an extra charge. No, but I do ship it off myself. Uh, we'll pack it and send okay. it ourselves. So there's time, if you, especially if you're local. If you're in the state of Florida, you'll get it within a couple of days. I've got uh, had a bunch of orders go out last week, and they were there in two to three days. Even got a guy that was in, uh, where was it? Well, upstate New York got it in like three days. Wow. And what did? Uh, how many Raul shirts? What's the breakdown of the uh, shirt selling? Um, more MIA shirts, but there's there's been a significant amount of Raul shirts been, that have been sold. Wow. Are you going to give me the total number off there? The Raul Legal Defense Fund is looking pretty good, right? That's good to hear. By the way, I apologize to your wife profusely for my slip-up last week. Did she finally forgive me? I have have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. All right. Leave it alone. It's completely forgotten. I'm glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. (laughs) Make sure you follow me uh, at Manny underscore Navarro. I'll have Twitter updates tomorrow from everywhere that I'm at. Uh, Make sure that you subscribe to this podcast, the Wide Right Podcast here on YouTube or wherever you download your podcast. And if you can sign up for The Athletic, your Christmas present for me. Appreciate it. Do it. Yes, you can remain employed. And All right. uh, I won't be the only one supplementing his salary on full full <laughs> subscription price. You'll get the deal. I, I do not. All right. That's it for Wide Right. We'll see you guys soon. Peace.